1: about how to become a writer, whether as an editor, an author, or a ghostwriter, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has been doing just that and more for the last three decades. But before I introduce you to Tim Shields, I want to make sure you signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T for C's newsletter that features career advice and insights into jobs and industries from the people just like Tim, who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time. The number four, coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. Now, my aspiring editors and espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Tim Shields. For nearly three decades, Tim's focus has been on accumulating life experience through travel, which has included buying one-way tickets to India and then twice to Europe and Mexico. His longest journey, which lasted 15 months, had him traveling all over India and Southeast Asia for exactly one year, and that was followed by a three-month stop in Berlin. The result of that incredible experience is captured in Tim's wonderful book, A Curious Year in the Great Vivarium Experiment. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I am a third of the way through it. It is so, so good. Most recently, since walking away from a corporate career in marketing and advertising, and this was in late 2015 that he walked away. Tim has made his living as an author, a writing coach, editor, and ghostwriter. This has given him the opportunity to work with a ton of fascinating people, all of whom share a passion for human potential. His most well-known work as an editor was helping the world-renowned neuroscientist, researcher, lecturer, and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Joe Dispenza, on his critically acclaimed book, Becoming Supernatural, How Uncommon People Are Doing the Uncommon. It is a book I have read cover to cover since before I met Tim, well before I met Tim and love it. And Dr. Joe, as he is known, is the reason that Tim and I met way back in April of 2023. We're actually doing this interview now at the end of May 2023, so it's not really way back. And it is a super cool story. I promise we're going to be sharing it with you in just a few minutes. Tim, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go there in... uh, Wait, you're not in Seattle. You're in California, right?
2: I'm in Palm Springs, California. Yeah.
1: That's a rough life.
2: Yeah. That's semi-retired, playing tennis, you know.
1: Are you caffeinated?
2: I'm probably over-caffeinated, to be honest. Yeah. Are you feeling a little buzzy? Um, Well, maybe that's just excited to talk to you because I love these conversations.
1: Thank you. I know. It's the best. I am so psyched to have this opportunity to dig into your journey and all that you've learned and the wisdom. And, you know, sometimes I use that word with some guests, but I really mean it with you. The wisdom that you have gleaned. And I thought maybe we could kick things off, Tim. Right out of the gate with a fantastic post that you just made over the weekend on IG, and you shared it with me earlier today. And it's so, so good. And I don't want to wait until later in the interview to share it because sometimes people get distracted and they're like, oh, I'll go back and listen to the rest of that interview at some point, and then they don't. And this is just way too important. So it's entitled. 10 things I'd tell my younger self. Could you pick it up from there, Tim?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I have a very special, soft place in my heart for college grads and recent college grads because I never had any guidance or mentors. I knew I wanted to be a writer since I was 17, but I didn't know how to get there. And I think my first book, which you just mentioned, A Curious Year in the Great Bivarium Experiment, it's the book that I wish somebody had given me at that age. So then in knowing that I was going to be on the podcast with you, I thought, well, what are 10 things I would like to share with your audience? Which would also be to my younger self. So number one is life doesn't just happen. It's an unfolding to so trust the process. Number two, you're going to fuck up personally, professionally, in relationships. And some are going to sting and linger longer than others. Take Maya Angelou's advice to heart. Forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you knew it. Number three, for every contraction, there is an equal or greater expansion. These contractions are either preparation for the next great expansion or transformational bridge moments to the next great expansion. Number four, read, watch, listen, consume, and fill your cup with as much information as you can about what you love learning. Study those who have achieved what you dream of achieving or seek mentorship from them. And I'm just going to add, this isn't written there, but I was thinking about it this morning. Limitations of the mind are contagious. So surround yourself with big picture thinkers and people who have unlimited minds. Um, this is probably number five is one of the, the toughest ones to learn. You'll have to figure this out on your own, but relationships are our greatest mirrors. So that one's brief. Number six, life is not supposed to be easy, but it can be easier if you understand that your life in this physical dimension is about the evolution of your soul's journey through the infinite labyrinth of the cosmos. As such, your greatest hardships will become your greatest teachers. Number seven, and this is, I mean, they're all important, but this is pretty important. Energy is greater than matter. And you are first and foremost an energy being connected to an infinite field of loving energy. As such, when the energy of love is emanating from your heart, which is the highest, purest form of energy, you can move mountains. Number eight, don't be in a rush to get to the future. It's all happening in the internal now moment. And now is the doorway to the future. In other words, stop dreaming and start doing. The future is today and it's never too late to get started. Number nine, this was a big one for me. You don't have to heal anyone else. Due to the fractal nature of the universe, meaning a fractal is a repeating pattern that occurs at all scales. When you heal yourself, you heal others. Number 10, dream big, be committed, ask questions, speak your truth. Thoughts become things, so be aware of your self-talk. Take risks. Spend time by yourself to know yourself. Do your best. Travel often. Have fun. Don't take life too seriously. And be open to serendipity. Be aware of synchronicity. The last two are your guideposts along the way. And they happen with increased frequency when you are in alignment with the dream of your highest self. Mm. So, so good. Thank you. And... I mean it's
1: also good, but those last two, even though you kind of cheated on number ten, number ten is actually like twenty. But I, yeah. anyway, it's okay. Yeah. Who's counting? But the last two, be open to serendipity and be aware of synchronicity, dovetail with how we met.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And because we are both students of Dr. Joe Dispenza's. We know that it wasn't really serendipitous that we met. It was because I actually manifested it. And before I share that story with our listeners, would you be kind enough, Tim, to share with our listeners who Dr. Joe is? I mean, I said he's a neuroscientist and you know all this other stuff, but yeah. who he is and what he is most famous for.
2: Well, he began as a chiropractor and he was he was sort of a competitive athlete and he was in a really bad bike accident and he was never supposed to walk again. So, he knew enough about the body not to do the surgery that the surgeons were recommended. And he basically checked himself out of the hospital and laid on his table for about 6 weeks and he was going through his mind and his thought. He was reconstructing his spine bit by bit and He did not want his mind to split. So he needed to keep the awareness there the whole time because, you know, if there is this intelligence that is loving us, it can also heal us. And so basically they said he was never going to walk again. Six weeks later, he was walking. Eight weeks later, he was jogging. And he said, if I, if I heal myself, I'm going to study this for the rest of my life. So he went down his path and he was definitely an outlier, you know, sort of labeled crazy. And then. As you go through life, I I have a new book, which is a whole other story. But I I say that when you act in alignment with your truth, you become like the boring machine, which means matter conforms to your will. And you know, over time, he's connected with UCSD, and now they're doing some of the most cutting edge research in the world about the power of consciousness and meditation. So using it, that to heal yourself, among using others. It- Yeah. Heal yourself, create things. So I would say he's probably one of the leading authorities in the world on the mind-body-spirit connection. Thank you. Yeah.
1: So you and I were at an advanced meditation workshop. It was a week-long workshop. There were like three meditations a day, lectures with Dr. Joe, and the last day.
2: The last session too.
1: (laughs) Well, there we go. The last lecture, and I'm running late, and I'm coming in, and there are 2,000 of us who are there. And so they've got us organized by color, and I've got my red lanyard on. And I'm looking for a seat in the red section, and I see a couple of seats open in this one row that seems like not far from the stage. And I sit down next to this guy who's wearing a cowboy hat. And the way that Dr. Joe lectures is that after he has shared a concept, he'll say something like, now turn to the person next to you and explain what I just said. And so I turn to the guy next to me and Tim, okay, you guys have figured that part out, right? Tim is the guy in the cowboy hat and he and I are chatting. And at some point I ask him if this was his first workshop and he says, oh no, it was like." I don't even know how many. You said like the first time was 2010.
2: Yeah. That
1: you attended one of Dr. Joe's experiences and there were like a 100 of you or something in the room. Now there were 2000. So what I manifested, my friends, was to write a best-selling book and to find a way to partner with Dr. Joe. And maybe in the short term, at the very least, to bring him on my podcast, I was thinking time for coffee, but I've since decided I'm going to start a new podcast called Career Magic and interview Dr. Joe as a way to share his brilliance with my listeners. So that is how and why
2: Tim is a guest on t for c What's kind of a funny part of the story too is... Uh, I was waiting for my friend to sit next to me and I was like, looked over. I'm like, who's this lady? You know, and I was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to be open. I'm just going to be open. And then we had this amazing connection. So in number 10, be open in life. You know, don't judge a book by its cover. Those are also important things. I've gotten that lesson so many times where I've sort of like, it had this judgment upon somebody, and then they open up, and there's this incredible connection. And it's like, wow, I never would have guessed that about you. Anyway, rambling on that, but that. no, yeah, I, I know, I know, that. I do so Were that, you yeah. kind
1: of like sort of saving that seat for your friend?
2: I was, but she never wound up going up or anything like that. So it was clearly oh, meant to be.
1: Actually, and here's the footnote right? I was wearing the red lanyard and I look at Tim and he's got an orange lanyard on his neck and I'm like, hey, I think you may be <laughs> sitting in the wrong section. This is the right section.
2: Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, I was like, lady, are you colorblind? Uh,
1: <laughs> Basically, it was the orange section that I had sat down in, and that was the first time that had happened to me. And Tim's whole experience of working with Dr. Joan, which we'll touch on in a little bit was something he manifested. Mm-hmm. How about if we flashback way back mm-hmm. to when you were an undergrad, Tim?
2: Well, it starts a little bit earlier than that. It started when I was 17 and I actually started asking to be used as an instrument of peace. Like I just wanted to be a writer so bad and I was just like, whoever's listening, whatever's out there, just use me as a, as a voice piece. Speak through me and of course, had no idea what that meant at that age. But, you know, so 17 is pivotal for me because it's when I started asking the youth as an instrument of peace and it's when I started keeping a journal. And I mean, for any writer out there, you should probably be keeping a journal because as Brother Regis said in high school, writing's improved by writing, reading's improved by reading. He probably said that a thousand times. So, you know, I just started keeping a journal and then now I probably have 60 plus of my life on paper. And I went to college thinking I was going to be a psychology major. And then I always knew I wanted to like It was going to be a co-major with writing. So I got into psychology and I was like, I don't like this. It's like, I don't like the terminology. It's just common sense with all this other stuff. And then I went into become an English major. I was like, well, I don't really like writing these English critique papers. And then I wound up in philosophy and I was like, this is amazing because I can express myself, take their information and express it through the lens of my own life. So I graduated college. Well, let me stop. Let me stop because
1: you were, was it a double major in creative writing and
2: philosophy? It was like an interdisciplinary major. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to do with that degree when you graduated, Tim?
2: Well, that's a that's an interesting question because people would always be like, "What do you want to write about?" And I'd just be like, "Life, you know, life." Like I was just, I didn't even know. I just knew. Now I have a whole different toolbox of language, but I wanted to write about the mystery. I wanted to understand about who I was inside, in connection with this the external world and how I fit into this. What we're doing here, all that stuff. I guess a little. A little side story is I also took a very large dose of mushrooms at a Grateful Dead concert at 16. Oh, you were and the guy
1: that did that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, me and about, you know, 20,000 other people, but it definitely altered my consciousness and I kind of got the sort of oneness of everything and it was such a big internal experience that it really altered, I would say, the trajectory of my life to a certain degree. I was like, I want to know more about myself, I want to know more about the world and I've always been into anything that would take me inside of myself, you know, whether that's like mushrooms or a walk or journaling or meditation. So that's kind of who I am and how I've been operating in the world. But beautiful. Yeah. Did
1: you have a lot of people giving you kind of the side eye when you told them, maybe not fellow students, maybe they were classmates when you told them about your major, like, okay, that's great. But how are you going to like pay your bills?
2: Um, I mean, if somebody had told me that I may have actually changed my majors or something like that. But I mean, I graduated college and I was sort of just thought people were going to pay me to travel around the world and write about it. I was sorely mistaken. I so just what kinda, was
1: your first job and how well, did you get it?
2: I guess my first real job was sort of as the internet was blossoming and uh, I started as a web content producer, barely even knew how to work a computer uh, for barnesandnoble.com. I mean, they were just like putting warm bodies in seats. And I figured it out, you know. It was this crazy era at the end of the dot-com bust. And I was in New York City and going to these ridiculous parties by like the weather channel and stuff. And they're just throwing tens of thousands, some parties, hundreds of thousands of dollars at these little tiny companies also like, you know, they don't exist anymore, obviously. I mean, after that, I I got laid off at com, and I was living in New York City. At that point, I was living in this big brownstone on the Upper West Side with a manic-depressive 65-year-old landlady and two Israeli guys. And I just had this little tiny apartment, a room off the laundry room. And I was pacing around the two sides of my queen-size bed one night. And I'm like talking to my brother. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make money here. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, dude, you don't have to live in New York to make money. And I was like, whoa paradigm shift and in that <laughs> in that moment in that moment i was like where do i have friends oh bens in seattle i'll move to seattle i can make like these huge life decisions like that but i could get paralyzed by like a menu like what to order so i moved to seattle and i was there for 19 years and i was kind of moving throughout the technology world Timeout, time 22nd timeout
1: yep. <laughs> yeah you're like jumping ahead here So you got laid off. You were at Barnes & Noble for a couple of years because this is the Mm -hmm. kind of shit that happens to us, you know? We cannot predict the future. We can't predict it, but we can attract what we want. And that's a whole other conversation. But we don't have a crystal ball. We can't see things like the pandemic and 9-11 and whatever else, great recession. So you were laid off and then you moved to Seattle. And I think maybe your next job was working for Regents Blue Shield. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He was a web oh, content yeah. producer and editor with Regents Blue Shield. Was that insurance?
2: It's actually healthcare. Oh, okay. And let me tell you, some of the most unhealthy people are in healthcare. Little sidebar there. <laughs> um, but
1: anyway, this is, you know, that, this is what we do. These are gigs, you know, we're just, they're stepping stones. So you stayed there for about a year and then you moved to a company that we've all heard of called Microsoft. Yeah. And that was in February of 2003. You were a web content editor. I guess mm-hmm. you were working on a contract.
2: Do yeah. you remember what you were doing? Well, I, I will say one thing about Regents Blue Shield. I was like, oh, this isn't even worth mentioning. And then I realized like I was working on a terrible screenplay at the time but I would sit next to the printer and I had like time on my hands and I'd like look around and like nobody's around and I'd like print out 30 pages of the screenplay and I would just sit there and people thought I was like busy all the time. And I'm just like writing my screenplay and all that stuff. By the way, this is not
1: advice that you should necessarily
2: follow. Well, not if you want to climb a corporate ladder. If you want to be a writer, you know, just write every moment, every moment you can. Microsoft was It was soul-sucking. I will say that. It is not the place where you want to go. Well, that's not true. I was going to say if you want to be a creative, but there are places there, I'm sure. But I was writing case studies. And there was one of the most miserable people I've ever encountered in the corporate world on the Microsoft side. But in looking back on it, there was about 12 writers who were working on case studies and stuff like that. And I got to work with this really amazing editor on my team. And I learned a lot through that process. So that's another uh, instance where you don't know what this moment is serving in, a, in the greater picture of things.
1: Totally. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think it's, it's far too easy for students to be in a job and maybe not like the job, but not realize that they're learning lessons. They're learning lessons about what they like and they don't like. They're also meeting people. People yeah. who can be in their orbit for decades
2: if they mm-hmm. want,
1: right? So, yeah. so it's important again to your list, right? About being open,
2: mm-hmm. and on top of that, don't burn bridges because, like you said, you don't know how that could unfold in the future.
1: Absolutely. So, you moved in that world of editing and. Writing and whatnot, working for corporations, for Holland America, Cruise Line, some online companies, myfamily.com, and Nordstrom, which is a Mm -hmm. huge name in the department store world. Yeah. What advice do you have, Tim, for students who really enjoy writing? Maybe like you, they're like, I want to write. Maybe they are majoring in creative writing or English or philosophy or psychology and they want to write. Maybe even journalism. Where do you recommend they start looking for their first post grad jobs?
2: Well, um, probably in the marketing or, or advertising world. Like I didn't make my bones sort of in that path. And I was trying to break into the advertising world for a long time because I was like, Oh, maybe this will give me the fix in my heart that I for creativity and all this stuff. And I couldn't get into the advertising world because I didn't start out doing that. It's kind of a specific path where like maybe you get a job at an ABC in New York and then you move to Chicago and then you move to LA and you're sort of going up the ladder. And there was this one winter where I was laid off. And I just started meditating on my own worthiness and, and like, you know, I want to make X amount of money. And at one point, this one afternoon, I had nothing to do, so I went to the store and I got a bag of potting soil because I was going to repot my plant. And I lived almost diagonally from Publicist, which is Publicist, whatever, one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. And I have this bag of soil on my shoulder, and this guy comes into the garage and almost hits me, and I'm like, "Whoa, what are you, you know?" And he he rolls down the window. And he's like, "Tim." I'm like, "Oh, hey, what's going on?" And I didn't realize a friend or acquaintance was like the creative director on like the T Mobile account there. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, repotting my plants. I got nothing to do. He's like, why are you looking for work? I was like, I am. He's like, all right, well, shoot me over your information and like, what do you, what you want to make and all this stuff? So I shot him this stuff and I, for me at the time, it was like a big reach. I threw $75 an hour out there and he was like, I heard nothing for a whole day and I'm like, Damn it, I, like, I overswung, you know, beat myself up. And the next day, he just goes, How about we just say an $800 a day day rate? Um, so I got more than I asked for. And it was supposed to be, I was unemployed for a good part of the winter. And it was supposed to be a two week contract. And it turned into like a seven week contract. So I made a ton of money. And then it got me in the advertising world. And then as soon as I was in there, I started popping around all these other agencies around Seattle. And, But it was very unfulfilling. Ultimately, it was fun. I met interesting people, cool people, but personally, for what I wanted to do in the world, it was rather unfulfilling.
1: But you figured that out. Yeah, I mean, I. A handful of weeks of doing it. And that's part of it, right? That's not a fail. That's the discovery process. But I actually got chills because that's another example. Of manifesting it like literally, the guy almost hits you.
2: Yeah, and if you
1: hadn't decided to go out to get potting soil, yeah, right, yeah, crazy. Well, let's just say, like hypothetically, Tim, our listeners are maybe a year or two or three out from graduation. What kinds of internships or extracurriculars or whatever it is could help them build a base of experience. Let's say if they, decide they want to try advertising or digital marketing, or whatever, they can really give them experience. It's enough experience that they could use to sell themselves to a hiring manager.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, connections are everything. Connections are going to get you in the door a lot faster than just writing some email to the ether. But I think in between my junior and senior year of college, I, I'm not even sure it exists anymore, but I interned in New York City at Details Magazine. You know, you could write for your paper. You could start an online blog about whatever you're passionate about. You could certainly get an internship at an ad agency or something like that. I mean, it's also a great way to get in there and figure out whether the vibe is for you or not. Like, do I like this? Are these my people? You know, I will say as far as as far as me being the writer that I am and always wanted to be, I I wrote in the first book that which the first book is sort of about the manifestation of the dream of the 17 year old self. And I wrote that like the dream, your dream is like shooting a grappling hook out into the future. And if you can hold on to the line, when you're going up that mountain, and you're traversing all that stuff, you're you're eventually going to get there. But when you're going up that mountain, there's a lot of treacherous things and there's weather patterns and etc. Basically, the external environment, sometimes people are trying to knock you off the line. So you have to be courageous in your pursuit and you have to be committed in what you're doing. And I mean, I had no idea how I was going to get there. My life is nothing but a string of serendipities and synchronicities. And when I am in my best meditating, open, slow, Crazy things happen to me. But I can also, you know, that's what I was talking about in one of those lists, the contraction. That that could be fear. I think I had a lot of, for for all the crazy things I've done, I think it's been this pendulum swing of fear. Doing the exact opposite of when I landed in New Delhi on a one-way ticket without a Lonely Planet or anything. And I was in my hotel for two days. I was like, what am I telling you? is the worst decision I've ever made. Anxiety attacks, just like, I'm in a city of 23 million people in a country of a billion people, and I don't know anybody. What have I just done? But, I mean, you're, you're...
1: But, let's rewind just a teeny bit. Yeah. Because the woman that you sat next to on the flight from... The yeah. US. was that creative liberty that Donald that was, was a little there? bit that was a oh, little bit was, creative oh liberty. okay yeah. a because lot of people are
2: disappointed by that
1: I'm so disappointed I really liked her she was so yeah. cool I loved her so it's kind of hard because I'm reading as I said I'm a third of the way through the yeah. curious Year* in the great Vivarium experiment and in it Tim is like on the plane and it's supposed to be like retelling this journey but yeah. there was some creative license there so he's breaking out in This hotel room in Delhi. He bought a one-way ticket there. Did you know anyone in Delhi?
2: Um, I didn't. Uh, The only thing I knew was that. uh, So my house growing up was always the house that had like stragglers, you know, at Christmas and everything. And my sister had this Indian roommate in Boston. And when I said I was going to go to India because it was one of the cheapest places I could go, she's like, "Find Pari." So I found her on Facebook or something, and. She was like, Do you want to volunteer? I have a connection. Do you want to volunteer at an eco ashram? And I was like, Sure. What the hell is an eco ashram? Like, I thought I was just going to be like sweeping floors and, you know, learning to make hospital corner beds and stuff like that. And as it turns out, her friend was connected to this guy who was pretty much India's most important environmental lawyer, maybe one of the world's most important environmental lawyers, sued the state of India over. 20 years to create a green zone around the Taj Mahal. Every Friday for X amount of years, the Supreme Court held special environmental cases for him. I met one American scientist there who said, this is the most important lawyer in India since Gandhi. And I got to just hang out and you know, hang out with him. And he was like one of the most beautiful... I mean, he's still alive. I should really reach out. But one of the most beautiful, humble, committed people. So I've been very blessed to be... I think because I shot this grappling hook out in the future and I just had to stay in alignment with this dream that magic has sort of brought me in contact with all these people who have been incredible influences of me. And and then my work is just an amalgam of all of these ideas.
1: So so much of what you've just detailed there resonates with me because I feel I've also had <laughs> a series of magical experiences. And in fact, it's also very interesting that you use the analogy of rock climbing, or mountain climbing, because the way that I've described my life is I kind of feel like I ride surfboards yeah. and like I get knocked off at times, but there's always another wave that's coming along. And so I'm kind of looking over my shoulder mm-hmm. at that wave because I don't even know where I'm going. I don't know where that next step is. And then and both. I catch that wave and I'm like, woo And where I am right now, to quote you, is an amalgam of all the life experiences that I've had. And I agree with you, when you're in your dharma, when you're in your purpose and your way, I'm not saying that things get easy, but you feel a little more flow. And that. I had somebody actually say to me the way they knew that I was moving in the right direction with thinking about writing this book and my new podcast is because how how excited I seemed when I was talking about it my mm-hmm. energy was so up and that's a really good telltale sign for our listeners if they're excited about one direction they feel it and if they have like another option that maybe is the safer option, and they just feel blah, your gut, your intuition, the universe
2: yeah,
1: is sending you a pretty powerful signal.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I would add to what you were saying about easier. it can actually be a lot more challenging the closer you get to the dream, because the universe is kind of challenging, like, are you ready for this? Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? that you're ready to receive what you asked for. I mean, I know that's definitely happened to me, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's no way I could have gotten to where I am, you know, just on my own and through muscle and grit. I mean, it's just like, I just stayed on the path and it's just been a series of synchronicities and serendipities. And I mean, especially for, for any artist, but especially for writers, it's, it's a long, it's a long game because when I was seventeen, I knew that I had this. You know, I'm reading all these people like Steinbeck and Joyce and Kerouac and these amazing larger than life characters, and I I knew at that age that if I wanted to have big things to write about, I had to have big experiences. But I was then I was like trapped in corporate America for all these years. I had sick parents, you know. My vacations were going home to New Jersey, and then that's when. My dad died at like the beginning of this decade. My mom, like six or seven years later. And I was like, this is my time. So that's when I bought the one-way ticket to India. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a path. All I knew was that I was taken off to find the story. And um, I landed in Delhi. The only thing I knew I was doing was going to Dharamsala, India, because it, where the Dalai Lama is an exile, because I heard it was a great place for artists and expats. And, You know, There's one chapter in the book called Sometimes You're the Bumper and Sometimes You're the Ball. And especially when you're traveling because you're in such an open-hearted space. But throughout life, you just bounce off these people and and there's an exchange of ideas. We could even go lower. There's an exchange of electrons. We want to go down to the the level of the universe. But there's an exchange of ideas and energy and it, it pushes you in all these different ways. And you just have to be open to the flow and trust that you're being guided. So...
1: And there's also an exchange of bodily fluids, which we could get into because the book also has a lot of great encounters that Tim has had with members of the opposite sex. And even without all the great professional experiences, I think we would both agree it would not have been wasted time.
2: No, I had some fun. I had some fun. <laughs> Am I blushing? Am I blushing here? <laughs> so you can know what? I, I want to. Uh,
1: yeah, right. Okay. It's in the book. So what I will say, though, which I think is a really important point, and I don't want to finish this section without underscoring it, it's that Tim mentioned feeling really afraid and fearful. That's not a signal that he or you or I are moving in the wrong direction. It's the primitive part of our brains, the amygdala. Is there because when we were cavemen, it was going to protect us from becoming some saber-toothed tiger's lunch or dinner, maybe even breakfast or snack, depending upon how big you are. And we have overstimulated amygdalas in this day and age because of our phones, the 24-7 news cycle. And so we have come, first of all, they're overstimulated and we've come to see fear as being a stop sign and it isn't it just means it's unfamiliar it's new now tim and i happen to be the kind of people who get excited it's like it's attractive it's like oh it's not enough of a deterrent that we're like oh no no then i should just stay in my you know tiny teeny tiny little apartment where i can only walk around two sides of my bed wrapped in um, bubble wrap bubble wrap right push yourselves out of your comfort zone, step into the fear. That is where the excitement, the richness of life lies. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I just want to say that after you left India, Southeast Asia, you moved to Germany. And I guess you Then moved back to the U.S. after you spent three months in Germany and you landed a gig as a senior comms specialist for a, it was either a children's nonprofit or it was a research facility called Seattle Children's. Is that right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I interviewed doctors and wrote about the tech, like the stories, the technology and everything they were doing. So So you
1: were back in Seattle and now I'm just Mm going to fast forward to 2014.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: You were a senior writer in 2014 working for a company called Cyanogen. Cyanogen. Thank you. Uh, which subsequently closed a couple of years later. It went out of business, but it had been venture funded. It was a venture funded tech company and you were managing both paid and unpaid social media channels as a senior mm-hmm.
2: writer. Yeah.
1: And in December of 2015, after you had been working there for about seven months, you were laid off. Mm-hmm. Can you pick up the story there and tell us what happened next, Tim?
2: Well, there's a little bit of a backstory there. I, I went to my first Dr. Joe Dispenza workshop in 2010, and there was about a hundred people there. And I went with both of my sisters, and one of them kept standing up. And at the end of a session, he's like, "You, I want to see you." He's like, "Oh my god, what I do." He's like, "What's going on with you?" Oh, I hurt my back sleigh riding with my kid. So he was like, "Let's go find a room, and I'll I'll help you out." So we did. And as it turns out, before I was born, my family lived one town over from his family in New Jersey. So all of a sudden, it's like you went to Alfonso's Pizza. I went to Alfonso's Pizza. He invited us to be guests for dinner, and it just you know, Jersey people outside of Jersey are just like. So we had a great time, and. I was kind of looking for my first literary agent at that point because I was trying to pitch the book. I took off to an orphanage in Tanzania. That's a whole other sidebar, but I was trying to write this story about that woman. So we, we kept in touch, and I would go about once a year to the workshops and I'd see him and I'd be like, we'd be great collaborators. So, anyway, I went to this workshop in Carefree, Arizona in, I don't know, April or something, 2015. And also right after that is when I decided I was going to commit to meditating every day. And I was at this workshop and everybody's having these huge, profound internal experiences and I'm beating myself up because I'm like, it's not working for me. I don't know how to do this. So anyway, the two things I wanted to create was a full-time job and a mentor. So I get back to Seattle. I'm still on the tarmac in the plane. And open up my LinkedIn. And this guy is like, Hey, I'm starting at this new job. We got 120 million funding. It's going to be the... It's going to come up between Apple and whatever Google's phone is, Android. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty interesting. This is happening fast. I take the light rail into the city and I run into this guy on the street corner. And I was like, Okay, maybe I'm supposed to pay attention to this. So long story short, I get the job. Every day before work, I go to a coffee shop for thirty minutes to an hour to work on the book that you have in your hands. And at exactly six months, I was like, I finished the draft and I was like, Oh my God, I think I have a uh, an actual story here. And right when that happened, I wound up getting laid off. And I was so lit up because I had finished my book, I was like, Yes, I'm just gonna work on my, you know, my book all winter. And I walked out of the building for the last time and I was you know, again, feeling super lit up. And I said out loud, I was like, what amazing things about to happen to me. And then 5 minutes later, I got a text from Dr. Doctor Joe uh assistant. and was like, Hey, Dr. Joe's in the Middle East, but he'd like to set up a call with you about helping him edit his blogs. And I was like, whoa. And then I wound up getting this other job as a director at a marketing agency, which I, I was always like, Oh, I don't want to deal with the clients. I just want to do the creative work. They're like, you're supposed to direct this account? That's what directors do? I probably would have gotten fired. But nine months into it, Joe, Dr. Joe asked me if if I would be interested in helping him edit his book, Becoming Supernatural. And I said, watch how fucking fast I quit my nine to five. And that was it. I quit it and I never went back. You know, there were some lean times, but I stayed the course and it's all unfolding.
1: So what was it like? Been working with Dr. Joe, like working with him as opposed to being in the audience.
2: Well, I mean, you know, we we talked almost every week for six years, and you know, sometimes we'd be trying to come up with an idea for a blog, and I'd be going through something, or I just had a, you know, I just had a bad breakup or something, and he's like, "All right, let's do it on love," and and then he would just lecture to me, and I would record it, and then I would edited it so that it was in the written form, but it was amazing. You know, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a more, for what I am doing and communicating in the world and wanting to learn. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor. And there's no way in the infinite possibilities of the universe that I could ever guess that the mentor that would show up in my life would be him. So.
1: (laughs) And I'm just going to pick up the book. Becoming Supernatural because I have given this as a gift to probably a dozen people. And maybe three will read it because it's, it's dense mm-hmm. and you have to go back and like reread sections because it's really heavy. I mean, I, not, I don't mean like heavy in the sense like you yeah. break your back holding it, but what was it like working on the book as an editor and what,
2: what were you doing? I mean, it was, it was a total dream. You know, I was just, I would be walking around Seattle with my headphones on listening to his lectures over and over and over. I mean, I I really had to not only understand the material, but embody it as well. And I think that's sort of the the key to the next evolution, even of our species, like in the embodiment of these ideas, because so much of us live up here, but the embodiment is in the heart, you know, and, and I think, I don't want to go down too far of a diatribe, but you were talking earlier about fear and we have been systematically programmed and conditioned into living in states, in these states of fear. And I think as a result of that, there has been this this connection between the heart and the head, and I, I'm trying it as well. I, I live in my I live in my head a lot because I'm wrestling with all these intellectual ideas. But I, I've noticed because I've been doing this for thirty years, I don't want to say I'm a channeler, but I essentially channel information at times. And you know, my whole new book, I didn't know what I was writing about, and I would just go for a walk in this canyon here, and I could just when I got in my heart. It was like, boom, the information just started downloading. And a lot of the, my new book is about, well, it's a new model of self-actualization and also updating the hero's journey as the evolution of consciousness. But to embark on the hero's journey is to step across that line of fear. It's to step out of the normal world into the unknown. So anyway, if you don't know Joseph Campbell's hero's journey.
1: Oh my God. And literally, definitely I, was worth just, checking out. I was just thinking of his quote. And I, I always mess it up, but it could be one way or the other. But the treasure you seek lies in the cave you fear to enter.
2: Boom. Yeah. So
1: those are words to live by. Just remember that. 100%. Remember that. But you were talking about yourself as like a vessel and like mm-hmm. having things kind of flow through you. I would yeah. imagine as a ghostwriter, that's a really important skill to have. How do you capture... Another person's voice, or are you at times writing in your own voice, or is it something else entirely, Tim? How does
2: the process work? I mean, I think everybody that I've written for, it has been my voice, but again, it, it's like an amalgam of their voice. I mean, you're, you're like hearing certain key phrases they say, and it just becomes a part of you when you're listening to this stuff over and over. It's like you start to think kind of in that way, but I've noticed when I'm really in it and I'm writing, it's like I've noticed like my head cocks, and I'm like, I'm almost like palpitated. I'm like, because I'm just listening to the voice, and it's just coming in. It's like me lecturing to myself, my higher self lecturing to myself, and I'm just like, and I know that I can't stop, I can't stop to judge that voice, I have to just listen to it, and sometimes I'll be like. Holy shit. Oh my God. Like, it's just like, it's coming through. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm writing. This. Like, but it's just, you know, so. You're I'm just, in the uh, zone. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's the sweet spot for anybody, whether you're an athlete or a painter or, you know, it's like when you get beyond yourself, you tap into that unlimited field of information and all the information already exists. It's already all here. In some regards, it's almost just the process of remembering, which will probably be it the next book, an aspect of the next book.
1: Yeah, you got to read Becoming Supernatural to fully appreciate what Tim is talking about. Mm -hmm. Or attend one of Dr. Joe's.
2: Or really? Or, yeah, or what? Well, I mean, my first book is essentially Joe's work in story. So I'm, I'm bringing these big concepts in ways that hopefully the layman can understand because we're wired to story and that's why that's why we still exist not not exist but <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's Share it's them. how oral yeah. traditions written traditions it's yeah. how information and look, is transferred at how we began
1: the interview it was with mm-hmm. a story right
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: so i have three final t for c questions. These are questions I try to ask all my guests. And the first one is the newest of the three, the final two are ones that I've been asking for the last five years. But the first one is, in fact, about serendipity or what some people call luck or divine intervention. It's what I like to call magic. I love that you used the word magic in one of your answers. Mm -hmm. Experiences that happen in our life, sometimes because we are deliberately manifesting it like me meeting you Mm -hmm. other times because the universe just drops a beautiful gift in our path. And that experience, that person that you meet, that could be that party you attend, the person you chat with on the line at the grocery store, whatever it is, that experience ends up changing, in this case, your career trajectory. Could you share? I know you've had a lot, but could you share perhaps one of your favorite examples, Tim, of a magical moment or meeting that changed your journey? Maybe it was meeting Dr. Joe. Maybe it was getting
2: that phone call. But maybe it was something else. You know, after this interview is over, I'm going to kick myself. Like I could have said that. I could have said this. I could have said that. I will say though, when I did meet Dr. Joe, that I, I didn't remember this until my sister told me. But. When I left that weekend, that first weekend, I was like, "I'm going to work with that guy someday," and that could be another just sort of thing that throws out into into the future. I mean, thoughts, thoughts, and words are things, and they become things, which is why I said, "Be careful of your negative self-talk." Gosh, I've had I've had so many. I've, I've certainly listed a few here. I guess I I guess okay. So. There's somebody that I can't really speak the name yet, but I'm in the process of figuring out a compensation package. But Dr. Joe Dispenza has these things called mind moves that he talks about becoming supernatural. And they're basically like digital vision boards, you know, what you want to create and all that stuff. And there is this, this one super brilliant scientist that I absolutely love and about Two years ago, I put him in my mind movie as the symbol of I work with the best people in the world and they come to me. And I happened to be invited to this small gathering at UCSD for some of the researchers and stuff, Dr. Joe's work. And he was there. And I was like, I'm like, got my eye on him the whole time. I'm like ready to pounce like a cheetah, pouncing and a gazelle in a Serengeti. And um, we're walking to the lap. And he asked me, there's four of us and he asked me, he's like, how are you involved in this? And I literally, I was trying to come up, come up with something clever. And I was like, I'm trying to come up with something clever, but I got nothing. And, (laughs) and then my friend says, and then my friend says, Oh, he was Dr. Joe's editor. And he's like, really? Are you, are you available right now? And so he asked me for my number and it took 25 months to manifest, but. You know, that that's another important thing, I think, for people listening. Like, these creations, you know, this is something Jack, Dr. Joe talks about, but it's like dropping a stone in a pond. And the stone makes ripples. And that is the way energy transfers throughout the universe. But you, you never know how big the pond is. So you don't know when that intention is going to come back to you. So at some point, it's going to bounce off that thing. We'll say the edge of the pond, but that thing that you're trying to create, and it comes back to you. So... You know, there were times where I was, I reached out to a friend or two and I was kind of like, you know, can you connect me with him? And it just, it didn't work out. And I just, there was a part of me that knew it was always going to happen. And I was just like, all right, I just got to allow time to catch up to my dream. So that's a big one that, that just happened recently.
1: Yeah, it doesn't always happen. like <laughs> It happened to me. And, and frankly, this is still a work in progress, but where I'm like manifesting earlier in the week about my best selling book, which hasn't been written yet. But my best selling book and connecting with Dr. Joe and having this and I sit next to Tim, right? Like within a matter of days. That doesn't always work that way. But this is still like playing out here. Like mm-hmm. the book has to be written before it gets on the New York Times Wall Street Journal bestseller list, which will happen. But
2: But but you you drop the seed in the pond.
1: Yeah. 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 Totally.
2: So Life is unfolding across the process.
1: I'm trusting it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I try to ask all my guests, Tim, if they would share a time in their professional life when they struggled. Maybe they failed or got fired or laid off. We've mentioned a couple of those or face planted. But whatever it is, the important piece here is how, in this case, you persevered. And whether there was a lesson that you learned in the process, because I think it's really important for us to look at these curveballs that life throws us, not as like, holy shit, I just struck out, but like, slip the script, flip it. Because these are moments when you learn, but often they're also doorways into an even better opportunity,
2: an even yeah. better
1: experience.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had so many failures, so many false starts. I was like, this is going to be the one, this is going to be it. And then it doesn't happen. And I can tell you that the, the contraction and expansion thing that I mentioned in the beginning, I've been in a, a contraction for a long time. I mean, like, I, my, I was ready to go with my new book in October. And then the guy I just worked with was like, I got to introduce you to this literary agent. It took a month to get the meeting. They didn't get back to me for three and a half months. So I was in this holding pattern. It's a very funny story. She winds up rejecting me. And now the guy that I'm waiting for the compensation package is represented by somebody else in that agency. So I just got an email from her this morning. Um, she's like, I'm going to look at your stuff this morning. But I also have a current literary agent who's great. I mean, he put like Eckhart Tolle and Neil Donald Walsh on the map but he's been in and out of the hospital for like three and a half months. And every month he's like, you know, next month. And so I've been waiting on two or three very large things. So I've been in this holding pattern and I find it hard to get stuff done when you're not like focused on one thing, but you just got to trust the process. And I know it at the soul level, just like when I was a kid, I had no idea how I was going to get there, but I knew deep at a soul level that this was my calling. And that I felt like I was a much deeper thinker than my contemporaries. And I didn't even know how to communicate with a lot of them in this way. It's just the law of physics. For every contraction, there's an equal or greater expansion. And I know that probably any day, you know, when these things line up, this this is an important thing, I think, is that when you're trying to create these things in your life, we view life and time in a linear fashion. But when you are, creating things, the universe is nonlinear. So it might take a bunch of time for things to like five things to line up in one instance. And it, it's happened to me so many times and it's just like, oh my God, and every time it happens, I'm like, why did I doubt? Why did I doubt? But it's just our our sort of humanity that is, I guess almost holds on to this fear as like a security blanket.
1: So I just want to clarify here and make sure that our listeners appreciate this. When Tim talks about the universe, he's really talking about something called the quantum field. If you've heard about quantum physics, don't know if you studied it in high school, maybe you're studying it in college, but the quantum field is the fifth dimension. And what we are living in here, where I'm looking at Tim over Zoom and I'm looking at my fingers in front of me in the microphone is the third dimension. It's what Dr. Joe and others call like 3D virtual reality. There is a fifth dimension. And what is it? It's just waves. It's frequencies. It's the fact that like your cell phone, you know, has an electromagnetic frequency, even though you can't see it. So there is a fifth dimension, the quantum field, that Tim is shorthanding with the word "the universe." Is that a fair description?
2: It is. It is. I mean, we are the field, and the field is us. It's this interconnected. Oh, I mean, you, for you could that. talk. That's true. You, you could use the term God, but like Dr. Joe always says, like uh, science. Is the contemporary language of mysticism, and really, when you want to go a little far out there but we're we're kind of just organized energy fields and at the atomic level the atom is actually mostly empty space it's just energy so according to the observer effect you know this is kind of in my whole new book all of these potentials exist you just have to put your focused awareness on it to bring it into being i mean i think that is kind of the distillation of everything i've said and all the magic and serendipity it's like my new book is about the mechanism behind self-actualization, which is the power of focused thought, which is the power of focused awareness. And awareness is energy. So what you're putting your mind on, you're pulling it towards you. But a lot of people live out of the subconscious and it's all these programs and conditions, you know, conditioning, and we're living out of fear. So we're pulling all these fear things into us.
1: I'm just reaching over to my bookcase here because... Dr. Joe wrote a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. When Tim refers to we're just living in our subconscious, it's our past. We're living in our past and we're pulling from our past. So when you're saying like, oh, I want this dream job, but I'm never going to get it because I sucked at whatever when I was in college or in high school, that's the past, you know? You need to... Focus your intention on what it is you want and then feel the feelings of what it's going to feel like when you get it. So when Tim is talking about like opening your heart, the heart is the organ. Well, there's so much more to it. But, you know, I'm not the expert here. I'm just a, a student who
2: is really into this. I mean, a very simple way to understand is the thought sends a signal out. The heart pulls it back in. It's and just, it's all electromagnetism. That's a whole other... Yeah, it's
1: amazing. Okay, final question, Tim.
2: Final question.
1: If you could go back to Loyola and do it all over again, but based on the immense wisdom you have right now, what advice would you give yourself about Shh. being in college, being an
2: undergrad? Um, Be present. Don't get lost in like the fear and the future and the unknown, everything, everything is going to work itself out. It has no other choice to work its out. That's, that's the process of life. Life is a process and it, it's an unfolding. I mean, I, my mom wrote me this letter a long time ago when I was in college and she said, don't fear the future. It's, it's going to come all too soon and it's going to work itself out. I mean, that's easier said than done, especially the current state of the world. But I would also, in the mirror of the current state of the world, I would say that life is too short to waste your time doing bullshit that you don't care about. At some points, you got you to gotta buck up and you got to get the paycheck. But I mean, now is the time, this age, to explore, to take risks, to fuck up, to learn. You know, it's like, if you go down the street and it's a dead end, you just turn around and you choose another direction. So trust the process. If answers are found in stillness. You should learn, you should probably learn to meditate. Because meditation is a process of also tuning out the bullshit, and you want to get when you get into your heart, you know the truth. But it's hard to get to your heart with so much noise and distraction and the stimulus that the brain is always experiencing. But the brain's just the processor. So the heart is the creator, mm. and when you're in your heart, you can move mountains. I'll just add that as I to circle back to the beginning. Yes. the Ten things.
1: Oh my gosh. Tim is the author of A Curious Year in the Great Vivarium Experiment. You can find him at inkandedit.com, not under timshields.com. That Tim is talker. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> Tim, did you want to I, say something? I, I guess I guess you can look at inkandedit.com if you want to look at my past professional stuff, but my real URL now is the real timshields.com. And it's also my handle for Instagram, where I use that as uh, a medium to express, you know, ideas, actually for uh, writers as well. Like last night I did that list and it's the ultimate, you have to build your ideas into 2,200 words, uh, 2,200 characters. So for writers, it's a great way to express yourself and great writing is the distillation of words, stay more with left. So TheRealtimshields.com and Instagrams at therealtimshields.
1: Tim, I want to thank you so much for letting me sit down next to you and not telling me you you're saving it for someone else. <laughs> and for making time for coffee today with me oh, and the t for c community. This was wonderful.
2: I love these conversations. So thank you for the invite. And I look forward to seeing how our lives intersect in the future.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time4coffee.org the number four, coffee.org, or text me at 202 236 one that's 202 236 5712